Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. It is currently 11.01 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I don't know how your morning is going currently right now. I I was kind of involved. I had to kind of, I kind of had to step out a a very, I, I don't know, I can almost describe it as a maybe intense conversation, discussion, disagreement uh, about the Holy Spirit. So so that conversation is going on. Finally, I had to just step out of that because, well, we've got to get to another subject that once again will probably lead to disagreement <laughs> because that's what Christians do. We can't agree on anything. But that that's a whole different podcast series, a whole different podcast episode. I talk about that all the time. It just sometimes it overwhelms me just how much like we just can't seem to agree. But that's what we're, oh, well, I guess in a way that's very, very much connected to what we're going to be talking about in this episode. But let me state this. This is kind of an initial, hey guys, here's like, here's some information. Here's something that is out there. Are you aware of it? You may want to look at it, but I, but I prompt, well, I can't, I won't be dogmatic. I will say this most likely, I was going to say, I promise you, but most likely this is going to be one of those situations where this initial episode is to say, Hey, do you know, do you know about this? Did you know this is going on? What's your thoughts? What's your opinion? Here's the information. Go look it up. It's that this episode is going to be more just to inform you, but most likely there will be follow-up episodes digging more into this and talking about it, especially if there are lots of emails saying, hey, I am curious about that, or, oh, I have heard about that, or wait, oh, I just looked at that. Could, Could you cover that? Depending on the responses, most likely, I'm not going to promise, but most likely, we will return to this subject in some way, shape, or form, all right? So I'm going to set aside everything. I'm going to set aside everything that's going on behind the scenes, because there's a lot. And we're going to focus on this. Are you ready? Two words. Two words. I want you to write these words down. I guess three words. We'll just add three words, right, to make it very clear. Are you ready? The first one is simple. The. Second, Frankfurt. Frankfurt, F-R-A-N-K-F-U-R-T, Frankfurt. Third, Declaration, the Frankfurt Declaration, the Frankfurt Declaration. Have you heard about it? Have you seen people posting links to it? Have you heard discussion in regards to it? The Frankfurt Declaration. Now, the reason I'm familiar with this or even know anything about it is because this morning, at 10.05 a.m., so almost an hour ago, I received an email from a listener. And once again, I'm very appreciative because it's listeners who, who sometimes they their eyes and ears, they see and hear things that I may miss. So your emails to me are so very much appreciated because you help me keep up with what's going on, not only in the world of Christianity, but in so many other different areas and aspects of life that it makes it simple for me to turn on the microphone. But at 10.05 a.m., so literally 59 minutes ago, I received an email and it says this, you may disagree with some of what it says, but it is an incredible statement of faith. James White and John MacArthur are among those who signed the document or the signers of the document. And it says, Godspeed. Now, immediately when I say, okay, I may disagree, well, okay, they obviously are a listener to the program because I tend to find myself in a disagreement with much of what's going on in the Christian world. So they, they obviously know me. You may disagree, but then they say it's an incredible statement of faith. Whenever I read that, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Whenever someone sends me something, go, this is incredible. This, this is an awesome sermon. This is an awesome book. I always get nervous because I'm like, either I just have to ignore it 
But most likely if I listen or read it or talk about it, I'm going to end up, well, probably not thinking it's as, as incredible as other people do because I always tend to find myself, well, opposite to everyone else. I understand that. I don't try to be. It just tends to happen. So that, that makes me a little nervous because I would hate to talk about this and then say, no, I don't think it's an incredible statement of faith. I think it's a train wreck. I would hate for that to happen, but there is the possibility. But I think anyone who listens to me and emails me knows there's a high probability that I may disagree. All right, so it says, you may disagree with some of what it says, but it's an incredible statement of faith. James White and John MacArthur are among the signers. Now, James White and John MacArthur had profound impact on my my Christian life at different times. I obviously James White is very much different today than he was. To me, he's far more political than he is theological, where it used to be he was far more theological than he was political. I think clearly there's a transition. John MacArthur was a profound had a profound impact on me. I moved away from some of his theological understandings and even he I think has become more political in many aspects than theological. Maybe not maybe to the extreme that James White is, but you can have your own conclusions. So the fact that both of them signed this supposed statement of faith, and I'm assuming it's relatively a new statement of faith, that has me very curious because these are two individuals who I believe have become more political than theological. They've signed a statement of faith. So does that mean this statement of faith is extremely theological or is it extremely political? I don't know. I'm curious. And obviously the name of this statement of faith is the Frankfurt Declaration. In fact, let me read, give you the whole name. The Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. The Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. The Frankfurt Declaration of, of Christian and Civil Liberties. If you want to find it, go to frankfurtdeclaration.com. Frankfurtdeclaration.com. Leave out the V, obviously. Frankfurtdeclaration.com. And you can read the document for yourself. And we will. And, and that's where I'm thinking this may end up into a series where we work through the entire declaration and just see what we think about it, take it apart, ask hard questions, uh, you know, ask theological questions, just all kinds of questions and, and see if we agree or disagree. I think that may be well worth our time. Uh, I've got some obviously other series that I need to finish up, but we, we can try to get to this as soon as possible, especially if there's a great amount of interest in it, then, then I will make it a priority I, or, or I'll just, you know, spend more time in front of the microphone, whatever is required. But I want you to be aware of this. The Frankfurt Declaration, according to the email, James White and John MacArthur has signed it. According to the emailer, it's an incredible, I mean, in fact, let me read their exact words. It's an incredible statement of faith. So I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about the Frankfurt Declaration. I haven't heard anything about it. So I just did a Google search. Frankfurt Declaration. The very first thing that pops up is from the Baptist News Global. And they definitely don't seem to be fans of it. All right. They seem to be very negative and very derogatory. So let's just read a little bit of this article that was published August the 31st, 2022. So I don't know when the Frankfurt Declaration was released. I don't have an official date. When I go to the frankfurtdeclaration.com, it doesn't seem to have a date here. I'm not seeing a date. Now, I may be able to find it, but um, we, we, we will have to figure out exactly when was this released. Um, someone says it sounds interesting. Well, I, I don't know. May, maybe it does. I, I hope so. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I can find the exact date for the Frankfurt Declaration, but we, we need to find out exactly when was this written, when was it released, when did the signers sign the declaration, how important is this, what it's about. But here is a little bit about the article. Or Now, now here's a little bit from the article, I should say. Here's the headline. And again, please note, they are very critical and derogatory towards the Frankfurt Declaration, but this is the very first article that popped up. Just what we needed, another pompous declaration from the conservative Calvinist evangelicals. Wow, they, 
They refer to it as a pompous declaration. Okay, they they clearly are not fans of it. And again, this is from the Baptist News Global. All right, so here is what they have to say. The Christians who keep abusing their privileges to demand everyone else conform to their narrow views of culture and politics have released a new declaration against the abuse of power. Let's stop right here. Now, this seems that they clearly feel that the people involved with this have, well, very much got involved in culture wars and in politics, and they want to somehow demand that everyone conforms to their views. So does that mean this declaration of faith, is it far more political than it is theological? That's, That's just questions that I have when I start reading this article. They go on to say, as if the world needed one more declaration from the evangelical reformed crowd. All right now, I don't know why they would be against declarations of faith or statements of faith. Those are always necessary, right? Whenever there are, whenever the church is facing issues, whenever the church is either facing theological threat or ideological threat, typically the church, Christians, have a tendency to, to formulate, formulate a creed, a declaration of faith, a statement of faith to, to clearly define the position that they're holding to. I appreciate declarations and statements of faith. I don't view it as, oh, that's what the world needs. I I don't know why you would be opposed to that, right? I mean, I guess if you're an atheist, you would think it's a waste of time. But from a Christian, I appreciate it. Declare clearly what you believe. Declare clearly your theological position. Because once it's clearly defined, then I can say, well, don't agree with that. We're not on the same page. Or, wow, I never thought of that. Maybe I need to change my view and join your side, right? So I I like declarations of faith because it clearly outlines exactly what, what what they believe and what they're calling you to believe. So from so I'm not a fan of them basically acting like, oh, that just what we need. No, we, we do need that, considering how divided Christianity is right now. So they said, as the world needed, uh, as if the world needed one more declaration uh, from the evangelical reform crowd. They've already already created the 1987 Denver statement on biblical manhood and womanhood, followed by the 2017 Nashville statement with more on gender and sexuality, not to mention the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy that undergirds the, uh, the whole theology. Well, yeah, and all of those statements of faith, you can see that they're, they're, they're dealing with very important issues, issues of biblical manhood and womanhood, of, of gender and sexuality. I don't know if you realize this, there's much division in the culture about it. So when the culture is divided and there's much fighting about it, the church needs to clearly define its stance. That's not a, they're saying it as, as, if it's, as if it's a negative thing. You may not agree with the statement of faith, but the statement of faith clarifies things. It defines things. It makes it simple to know that's what they believe. You may reject it, but then you should be appreciative of the statement of faith because you clearly know where you agree and disagree. So I don't know why this article has such a, negative, snarky, like, whoa, exactly. I mean, they've given us plenty of statements of faith. Why do we need another one? I, I mean, I, you do realize you don't have to read them, okay? It's, okay. <laughs> like, I, I want to I write the, uh, the author here. Like, you do realize, you know, it, it, does it hurt you that someone releases a statement of faith? Like, oh, no, there's another one out there. It's okay. You won't be forced to read it, okay? Their, their, their approach here is somewhat interesting. Uh, so let me read this whole, again, all together. They've already created the 1987 Denver Statement on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, followed by the 2017 Nashville Statement with more on gender and sexuality, not to mention the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy that undergirds the whole theology. And I would say, I'm not super familiar with the Denver Statement or the Nashville Statement, but the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, to me, is a must-read for every Christian and, and could be used as good Sunday school curriculum for every Sunday school class and be used for preaching material in every church. So I, I definitely am a big fan of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Now, they go on to say, 
Now we've been handed the Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties, which at least is mercifully concise, but mirrors the Nashville Statement in its call and response format of things affirmed and things denied. Once again, they still have to be snarky. Mercifully, it's mercifully, it's concise. Like, oh wait, if it's too long? Well, like, why do you mean mercifully? You don't have to read it. Like, oh, it's it's merciful, mercifully, I don't, it's it's not that long and it's very concise. It, it, to the author of the Baptist News Global, hey, hey you don't have to read it. It's like seeing, oh, oh, there's a 500-page novel there. Where's the mercy? You, you just don't have to read it. Oh, oh, there's a novel that shows. Mercifully, it's short. Like, well, it, that's a little overdramatic, don't you think? Okay, you, you don't. Who cares if it's 10 pages long, 100 pages long? It, 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 whatever is required to define and clearly articulate one's theological position should not be like, I don't understand that. All right, they go on to say, ironically, they should have chosen a different name. The world already has a Frankfurt Declaration issued in 1951 as a call to achieve socialism through democracy. The original Frankfurt Declaration denounced all forms of discrimination, economic, legal, political, including discrimination based on sex, race, and geography. Oops, don't think that's what this crowd meant to emulate in its title. Now, that's interesting. I wasn't uh, familiar with the original Frankfurt Declaration. So did they choose the Frankfurt Declaration as a name on purpose to say, this is what the world gave us in 1951. This is what the church is giving in 2022. Was it purposely? I don't know. I don't know. They think that they just made a mistake. Like, oopsie, we, we, I think they, I think most likely it had to be thought out why they're calling it the Frankfurt Declaration. I would think, but maybe I'm wrong. They go on to say, some of the usual suspects are behind the new 2,000-word declaration, but some others are notably missing. There's Vody Bakum, the seminary professor and controversial author from African Christian University in Zambia. Tom Buck, the East Texas Southern Baptist pastor, often found at the center of denominational controversy. John MacArthur, the influential pastor and author from Los Angeles. Phil Johnson, associate to MacArthur. James White, a Christian apologist and pastor from Arizona. Doug Wilson, another controversial Calvinist pastor from Moscow, Idaho. What's notable, though, is the absence of any Southern Baptist Convention elected leader. To date, there is no signature from Al Mohler, Danny Aiken, Adam Greenway, or leaders of the, S, uh, leaders of the SB3, SBC's three largest seminaries. Among the 47 initial signers and the later signers, there's an, an uh, international and interdenominational mixture of Baptists, Presbyterians, Bible church pastors, seminarians, and laypersons. Uh, the document begins with a preamble titled Christians Against the Abuse of Power, which would be laughable if not so pathetic. All right, so they, they're, not, they're clearly not a fan. Not only are they not a fan of this even being written, they are a fan of it being concise, but they're definitely not a fan of its content. Clearly, they don't seem to be a fan of some of the signees as well. All right, so... Let's, uh, let's see what else they have to say here. Here, here's what it says. And I'm quoting, I'm quoting them, quoting the document. I'm not looking at the document right now. I just want to make sure I'm quoting the Baptist News quoting of the article, just because if they're not precise or if they get something wrong, well, you know what source I'm quoting here. Here we go. Here's what it says. In the course of human events, it is sometimes becomes necessary for people of good faith to speak out against the abuse of power. This should be done only after serious and prayerful deliberation, and even then in an attitude of humility and with respect for the authorities that have been established by God. Such protest should be expressed in the hope that civil authorities who are found to be eroding rights and liberties, may yet fulfill their responsibility as their rightful guardians. Now, that, that's what it says. So this seems to be, and, and again, I'm just, I'm, I'm processing this 
in real time, all right, processing this in real time. This seems to be a document that is greatly concerned with the eroding of supposed rights and liberties. Now, this is a a constant thing I hear Christians scream. We're losing our, our religious liberties. We're losing our religious freedoms. We're losing our civil liberties. We're going to end up in you know FEMA camps, and we're going our Bibles are going to be taken away from us. And this is a constant. I mean, I, I basically have heard Christians threatening this or, or a warning about this and screaming about this almost as I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty early on in my Christian life. Um, I, I, I remember times where I, I was being told that, hey, there's this atheistic woman and she's going to remove all Christian television from the airwaves. Come to find out that it was a hoax. Okay. And then years later, I, had a, I was at a church not far from where my church currently is on a Sunday night, and they had a petition to send to the government to stop this atheistic woman from taking Christian television off the airwaves. And well, the, the atheistic woman was dead and uh, it was still a fraud. So um, a lot of times Christians claim that, you know, something is happening when it's not actually happening. Sometimes Christians seem to also get caught up that, that they, they perceive everything as an attack and a threat, right? Like the whole never-ending war on Christmas. It's a war on Christmas. They're trying to get rid of Christmas. They call it holiday trees, not Christmas trees. They, they won't say Merry Christmas. It's the end of everything. And while Christians yell and scream that there's a war on Christmas, well, just drive by churches on Christmas Day and just see, yeah, they're all locked and all the lights are off and nobody's there. So, but hey, there's a war on Christmas. Nobody is stopping you from meeting on Christmas and having church all day to worship and learn about the incarnation of the eternal son of God. But hey, there's a war on Christmas because someone at Target didn't say Merry Christmas. <laughs> I can't believe they would do that. Now, I know I'm being a little, I'm being a little, a little sarcastic, but sometimes the perceived threats to our liberty, I think sometimes are much are greatly exaggerated. That's all. I think the demise of our liberties sometimes is greatly exaggerated. And sometimes I think we want rights that we are not willing to give to others. For example, we want prayer in the public school. How dare a Muslim try to pray in the public school? Wait, wait a minute. We, we want rights that we sometimes, re, we, we, we don't want others to have. We want to build a church but if a, if a, especially after 9-11, if Muslims want to build a mosque, then the, then the citizens rise up and say, no, we don't want a mosque in our neighborhood. But, but you'll allow a Baptist church to be built in your neighborhood. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, and I could go on and on in examples and examples and examples. So I think sometimes the perceived threat to our liberty is greatly exaggerated. Now, there are clear times where you're like, what in the world is the government doing? What in the world does that principle do? What, is, what in the world is happening here? Like, what is going on? But I digress. Let's see what else they have to say here. But, but, but they, but they're just getting started. So, so they read the, we quoted, they quoted the first paragraph supposedly from the document. And then they say this, but they're just getting started. It goes on to say that a few concerned pastors have been moved by an emergent totalitarianism of the state over the realms of the society, and particularly the church, and the disregard of God-given and constitutional guaranteed rights during the COVID crisis. So they're like, hey, the state has become totalitarian, and they're taking away our rights. So we're concerned, and we've got to do something about it. Now, again, is that a little hyperbolic? Is the state become totalitarian? Or do you have totalitarianism running rampant? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'll put it this way: I'm willing to look at every specific instance and go, "Hmm, I think that's an overreach." Hmm, what should we do? What is the biblical approach to this? My concern is this just des descends and disintegrates into nothing more than partisan politics. That is my concern. But let's see what else they have to say about the document. Do not miss the reference to COVID. 
All right. Now they did mention COVID. Oh, hang on. Let me go back to the, the next, the, the previous paragraph. And as usual, they're going to correct all of this by telling us the timeless truths of God's word, meaning their narrow interpretation of the Bible. We've seen this movie before. So in other words, hey, the, the state is being totalitarian and we're going to fix this. Well, based on our interpretation of the Bible. Now, maybe their interpretation is right. Maybe it's wrong. I know there's one thing. There won't be agreement within the body of Christ about their interpretation. But just remember in their statement, they mentioned COVID. And then they go on in the article to say this. Do not miss the reference to COVID. And although this appears to be an international document, do not overlook the repeated references to politics and culture in the United States. John MacArthur, the father figure of this reformed evangelical movement, went to war with the city of Los Angeles, uh, the county of Los Angeles, and the state of California over health restrictions during the height of the COVID pandemic. He refused to protect his congregation from mass infection while claiming his religious liberty rights were being infringed. Now, let me stop right here. I don't want to go through it all again, but let me just say this. We can look at everything that happened with COVID, right? First and foremost, we know that because it was a novel coronavirus, there was going to be lots of like, okay, we need to do this. Okay, maybe that not, maybe that doesn't work. We need to do this. We need to try this. We need to do this. We need to try this. Some of their thoughts and ideas, maybe later on, was proven not to be the best, but that's what happens in the middle of a, when you're dealing with a pandemic of a novel coronavirus, a new virus. People are going there. You're going to have to base things on your initial understanding, and then those things will have to be modified and changed. Do I think every government decision was the right one? Do I think every local government decision was the right one? No, I don't. And you can question that. But in some cases, you question it after the fact. But if I was the one making the decisions, maybe with the information they had at the time, I may would have made similar ones. So this is not in the time for Christians to be you know, I, I, even during the entire COVID thing, Christians were so arrogant and conspiratorial and just acting like children, it drove me crazy. So let me explain my position again when it comes to what the government did in regards to COVID. From a church perspective, our thought should have been, what, what can we do to help preserve life, keep people safe, what can we do to be, to love our neighbor, to put others before ourselves? What can we do to do that? Because that's the biblical mandate. Put people before you, love people, care for people, demonstrate that we really believe in the sanctity of human life. We want to protect it. We want to preserve it, right? That, that should have been at the very forefront of our thinking. Hey, we're here to help protect and preserve life. Tell us what you need, right? But I didn't hear a lot of that. I heard about what can we do? What can we do? And, 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 it, and, it, and it became more about us than it became about anybody else. And so there was a problem already. But here's what drives me crazy when it comes to the COVID situation in the churches. Now, I know we're, 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 we're moving a little bit away from the Frankfurt Declaration, but there, the, the, the author here, even though he's very snarky, it's right to point out, hey, they mentioned COVID. That gives us a little insight to where, what they're thinking here. So let me just state this. In most cases, I can't say in every single case, but in most cases, what was asked by most churches in most cases, I'm not saying every case, but in most cases, was to do simple things like this. Limit the number of people who could be in any one given service. So in other words, 50% capacity, 25% capacity, in any one given service. Make sure you hear that. Wear a mask, social distance. Now, every church could have said, okay, Here's what we're going to do. We can only have 25 or 50% in this service. We're going to have five services. We're going to have seven services. Here's what we're going to do because COVID is having such a great impact on everyone. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to services seven days a week. We're going to have services Monday, Sunday through Sunday, and we'll have one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. Maybe we'll go to multiple services a day. In other words, the church could have increased the number of services and just said, Here's how many people can come in, have a mask, and we're going to do our best to social distance. There you go. Now, you could have had church as much as you wanted. You just had to limit the number of people. But I cannot tell you. Every time I would put forth that idea, like, how dare, we're not going to do that. They can't tell us what to do. Why are you being a child? It's like a, it's like a teenager. Okay, mom and dad, I want to go do this. Okay, well, you can go 
here, but you can't go there. You got to be home by midnight. You can't come back at 3 a.m. Well, then never mind. I'm just not going to go. You're ruining my life. They're like, no, I'm trying to work with you. Well, in some cases, the church, instead of working within the rules, all we could do is flaunt and break the rules. Because I think that that's reasonable. They're not saying you can't have, in some cases, yes, they were saying you can't have any service. And we could we could talk about, okay, what should we have done in those situations? But in many cases, they gave you options. But I watched it myself. Well, if, if we're, if we're going to wear a mask, we're not coming. Well, thank you so much for helping me out. Thank you so much for working with me. Because pastors were trying to make difficult decisions. And guess what the pastor's first thought should have been? Preserve life. Protect people. You don't want anyone getting sick. You don't want anyone dying. You don't want your church spreading it to other people and them getting sick and dying because, I don't know, we care about human life. But in so much of this, it was always like, we're going to make a point. It's like, why do you have to make a point? Figure a new way out. Now, there may come a point you're like, okay, we've done everything we can. And I said, even in those cases where you clearly disagree with the, with, the, with, the, with the city or the state, you do your best to at least contact them and say, hey, look, here's what we're willing to do. Can you work with us? And if you say no, well, we may go ahead and do this, but we're letting you know right from the start. We're not trying to, to show you up. We're not trying to make a point. We're just trying to follow what we believe is scripture. But in most cases, no, you can have you can have church. You can have all the services you want. You just can't exceed 25% or 50% of your total capacity. And people have to wear masks, you have to social distance. But Christians were like, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. At the same time, all kinds of other things were being shut down. NBA, sporting events, concerts. I mean, it was impacting, it wasn't just impacting the church, but then the church was like, but Walmart's open. But what, you you want Walmart closed down? Really? You don't want to be able to get groceries anywhere? I would hope you would want certain things to be open for your own survival. <laughs> okay. I want all the growth. If the church is going to be closed down, I want there to be no food, no water, because we're going to prove a point. I think you'd be like, no, I can understand. We, we need some essential things open. So, I just think the church, in many of these cases, was, wasn't willing to just try to work around some of the situation. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm not saying it was great. I'm just saying that I've watched churches. Hey, there's a hurricane. All right, we're not going to have church services. We're going to cancel services because we've got a possible threat. Hey, well, I've seen churches cancel services for so many things. So why can't we cancel or readjust or redo how we're doing church? during a temporary time. Is it the best? Is it what anyone wants? No. But all those other businesses and bars and concerts and sporting events that were being shut down, those people didn't want it either. So what makes us so special? I just think the church, once again, conducted itself in a very messed up way. So, and, and, and again, that's what a lot of, I think, is this what led to the Frankfurt Declaration? Look at how we were treated during COVID. I think a lot, of, I think sometimes Christians have a persecution complex. A persecution complex. Now, I understand that in some cities, the church felt, Christians felt that the church was being given rules that wasn't applicable to other places. Now, in many cases where I heard those stories, I would go look up everything about those cities. Like, well, their movie theaters are shut down or their bars are shut down or their strip clubs are shut down. I'm like, I think this is impact. Oh, and guess what? It wasn't just Christian churches. It was Jewish synagogues and Islamic mosques. So, and Buddhist temples. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's lots of, the other religions are being impacted the same way. So it's not a persecution complex against you. Like it's, this is something that was happening to everyone. And am I saying that I agree with every decision? Every time I say this, I get 900 emails. I'm not saying I agree with every decision. I'm not saying the state got it all right. But I try to at least be somewhat understanding that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I know redundant because pandemic is global. I understand that. But a global pandemic, people are dying. And then many, but guess what led to a lot of what the churches did? They based it off their own conspiratorial thinking that it's not real and it's all a lie. Well, okay, well, uh, we're in a totally different world at this point in time. I don't agree. I don't, I will say this again and again. I think some of the decisions after the fact, when you look back, whenever they write the history books, they're going to be like, man, the government probably made a bad decision right there. 
Maybe they went to the lockdowns and said they should have done regional lockdowns, maybe lockdowns that were more targeted to to certain areas and other areas shouldn't have been impacted at that point in time because ultimately it didn't help or whatever the case may be. There can be all kinds of criticisms. I'm more than willing to acknowledge not everything was done right, but did you think everything was going to be done right in the middle of a pandemic with a new virus? Did you think that every decision was going to work out and be perfect and right? Why, why would we expect perfection from government leaders in the world when there's not even perfection in the church? <laughs> okay. Right? All right. So, all right, let's continue here. They go on to say this. Um, MacArthur and his allies uh, have been staunch defenders of Donald Trump, which we know, who without rival has demonstrated how abusive power works in American politics. Even before he was found to have stashed top secret government documents at his golf resort in Florida. If anyone should know about the abuse of power, it's MacArthur and his cronies. Now, again, this is very derogatory. This is coming from the baptistnews.com. I did not go to a secular news source, okay? Their entire theology is built on a hierarchical system of male dominance and abuse of women and children. Their theology depends on verbal and sometimes physical abuse of LGBTQ persons, immigrants, and people of color. Now, I don't think that's anywhere close to a a fair assessment. Um, I think that's clearly just being attacking for attacking reasons, all right? Um, and then, let's see. Okay, so so I I'm gonna I mean yeah that's not fair that's not right. There are things you can accuse MacArthur, you can you can be critical of MacArthur for. You, there's something you can be critical of every human being, um, every pastor, everyone because we're all sinners and we're all failures. Doesn't excuse our failures and sin, but there's always something on everyone sooner or later. It's it's this: you either become a Christian and die immediately, right? And then you die a hero, die a saint, or you become a Christian and live long enough to prove to everyone that you're still a sinner, okay? That's really the way it works, okay? Sooner or later, your sin is going to be exposed somewhere, somehow. Everyone's sin is found sooner or later. Doesn't excuse anyone, but it's just the the reality. They go on to say this. The declaration is organized into five articles. The first affirming God is the creator as sovereign lawgiver and judge. The second affirming God is the source of truth and the the role of science. The third affirms mankind is the image of God. The the fourth affirming God-given mandates and limits of authority. And the fifth affirming Christ as the head of the church. Each article begins with a paragraph of what the signatories affirm on the topic, followed by a paragraph or more on what they deny about the topic. Some of the wording appears to be nonsensical, like the denial that impersonal matter is the final reality behind all things and the belief that human conduct is merely a biological or sociological phenomenon, whatever that actually means. It's set up to the real point. We deny the right of any earthly authority to define morality and require unconditional obedience of their citizens when contrary to God's law. We also have good grounds to question the modern state's ethical pronouncements and moral vision since their secular humanism and relativistic ethics have no transcendent basis for human behavior or morality. Now, clearly, the author doesn't agree with the Frankfurt Declaration, and they're critical of their logical thinking or their, or their logical perspective. I'm not here to judge that right now. I just want you to know about the Frankfurt Declaration, but I want you to hear how it's being covered, at least in one, well, Baptist News website. The point is that secular society should not have any moral authority over Christians, but Christians should have moral authority over all society. Now, that is a little concerning. Now, if that is true, if that is the point of the document, now that's they're they're making their judgment. We would have to determine by working through the Frankfurt Declaration together, which clearly this is going to end up as a series. I guarantee you. But they say this: the point is that the, that a secular society should not have any moral authority over Christians, but Christians should have moral authority over all of society. Now, should Christians have moral control? moral authority over all of society? I think some Christians believe so. 
Christians like, no, you can't do this and don't do this and don't make that movie and and get rid of that book and censor this and silence this. I've seen Christians trying to exercise moral authority over all of society way too many times, and I'm completely opposed to that. Now, because we live in the world, the world's going to pass laws and rules. Well, that's going to have some authority over us. But I don't believe the church or Christians should be exercising moral authority over over culture or over society in any way, shape, or form. We we take the Bible and follow its moral authority in our own personal lives. And we, we may use that moral authority to condemn the morality of society and say that it's wrong and they need Christ, but I don't want to impose it upon them. Now, I don't know if the I don't know if the Frankfurt Declaration actually does what it's being accused of, but it's something that we would want to at least be paying attention to. Now, they say this is the heart of white Christian nationalism. And of course, there are Bible verses aplenty cited to support all of this. Now, is that the heart of Christian nationalism? I think there's a little bit of that in Christian nationalism. I don't think there's any way to deny it. We're going to exercise dominion over society. We're going to make this a Christian nation. And and by using politics and law, which that scares me to death. And it should scare every other Christian to death, and I don't believe it's biblical. We're not called to go make the nation Christian. We're called to go preach Christ to the nations, calling them to follow Christ. If they do, well, then... It becomes Christian by conversion, not Christian by constitutional amendment or by force or by law or by politics. They go on to say this. No statement from this group would be complete without some denial of scientific reality, and the Frankfurt Declaration does not disappoint. It states, and once again, they quote from the Frankfurt Declaration, we affirm that God, the creator, is the truth and that therefore objective truth exists and can be derived from his revelation in scripture and nature and from the facts which can be credibly verified. We endorse science, which seeks to discover through the scientific method and debate the truths that God has built into the natural world. We also affirm the limitations of science, including its inability to speak authoritatively on all areas outside of its purview and its propensity to err when data is lacking. Since man has fallen into sin, we further affirm that all his thoughts, deductions, and institutions contains degrees of corruption which tend to distort, manipulate, or suppress the truth. Now, I I would ask this. I think this is important. Since we're sinners as Christians, is it not possible that our thoughts, deductions, institutions contain some degree of corruption and tend to distort, manipulate, and suppress the truth as well? Don't we have the same problem? Or is this the idea that we're Christians, we've got the truth, we know the truth, but you non-Christians, you're ignorant, you're dumb, you can't figure anything out. I, I, I'm not a fan of that approach because I say every Christian, guess what? We're fallen and guess what is true of all of us, right? That in our thoughts, our deductions, our institutions, the church, etc., contain degrees of corruption. That's just a fact. And we tend to distort manipulate, and suppress the truth. That is true of Christians as well. It says, reading that, I was reminded that this week, lightning struck the Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky, Ken Ham's giant recreation of Noah's Ark as a way to teach uh, children young earth creationism. Maybe they should pay attention to the lightning. The gist of the Frankfurt Declaration is that the Bible always trumps science, that science can only be true to the extent that it affirms what the Bible says. The problem, of course, is that the Bible does not present itself as a book of science, and it's not a book of science. It's a book of stories about God's redemptive work in the world and not neurons and protons and atoms. The Bible itself has limitations and cannot speak authoritative on areas outside of its purview, and purveyors of strict biblical literalism have been prone to err when data is lacking. You see how they trying to be clever and flip the words of the Frankfurt Declaration around. Okay, we, we, could, we could take this all apart, but okay. The entire document is an exercise in projection. It follows the narcissist playbook by accusing others of the very sins it commits. Catch this great line. We reject any deception, fear-mongering, 
propaganda, propaganda, let me say it that way, Uh, uh, propaganda and indoctrination by the state and mass media and all reporting on critical world issues, which is premature, selective, or ideologically manipulative. Again, if anyone knows about deception, fear-mongering, propaganda, and indoctrination, isn't it, they they call it the reformed evangelical crowd behind this declaration? They wrote the book on how to do all of that stuff. So the the Frankfurt Declaration rejects deception, fear-mongering, propaganda, okay, and indoctrination by the state and mass media, and all reporting on critical world issues, which is premature, selective, or ideologically manipulative. And I agree, Christians are, are just as involved in all of those same things to some level because we're all sinners. They said the third section begins with a lie and gets worse from there. We affirm that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God and therefore has inherent dignity and worth along with certain inalienable rights and liberties uh, for a proper human life. Say what? Aren't you the ones who deny the rights of gays and lesbian human beings, of transgender children made in the image of God? Aren't you the ones who insist anyone who doesn't look or think like you isn't worthy of dignity? To make this opening statement a section on the image of God amounts to blasphemy. Well, okay. Again, they have a very negative view of the Frankfurt Declaration, a very, 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 very negative view. And so you can, I'm just trying to let you see that the Frankfurt Declaration is out there and there's already major pushback on it. It's going to be our job to figure out exactly what is said. But I can understand why many would look at, wait, we, on one hand, as Christians, we say everyone is creating the image of God. Everyone has inherent dignity and worth. Everyone has certain inalienable rights. Everyone uh, should have liberties that are for a proper human life. But then sometimes as Christians, do we truly act that way? In other words, what is the, what, when we make those statements, what is the correct application of that statement, and are we contradictory to that principle and maybe how we view or treat other people? I think it's at least worthy of a Christian to consider maybe it's hard for the world to understand what we mean when we say those words, right? They go on to say, but that's not what this section is really about. It's about COVID restrictions, right? So it sounds like this document, the Frankfurt Declaration, has arisen out of Christians' problems with COVID, not the actual virus, but with all of the unintended consequences that the virus ended up leading to. This seems like where they are going with this. But they say, so they quote again from the document, these rights and liberties include the right to corporate worship, personal and and interpersonal relationships, vocational employments, participation in the important events of human life, such as the right to comfort the sick and the dying, especially of one's own family, to attend funerals, to witness the birth of one's child, to marry in a public gathering, to fellowship and eat together with others, and to engage in honorable work. And then in a flaming tribute to self-determination, For some, they add, we also affirm that government should recognize that each individual is responsible for their own bodily well-being and should protect the right to personal medical self-determination. Again, sorry to point out the hypocrisy here, but aren't you the ones who don't believe women have the right to personal medical self-determination? Aren't you the ones who don't believe women and transgender persons are responsible for their own bodily well-being? The lack of self-awareness is astounding. Now, all of that basically says hey, the government should not tell us what to do in any of these areas. Now, this is a little bit troubling because if you go throughout history of pandemics, there's always rules. There's isolation. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to quarantine and isolation. We're going to isolate you, quarantine you away from others. I mean, we even see this a little bit in the Old Testament. If you have this problem, you're put outside of the camp. Someone then has to inspect you and then you can be brought back into the camp. These, these are basic concepts. They're making it sound like the government can't tell you where they shouldn't be able to tell you where you can go, what you can't do. They should be, they can't tell you anything. So this is this a Christian document that basically says, as far as Christians are concerned, you can't, you have no right to tell us to do anything. Well, do they have the right to tell you to evacuate from an area that's in danger of a hurricane or of wildfires? Or are you going to say that that's wrong as well because it's your body and if you want to burn up, you can? Is that is that they they we should we should tell them? I mean, like where? How far do you take this? There should not be any you know. Uh, uh, 
fire codes or electrical codes for church buildings because they're telling us what to do. No, we can, we can do the wiring any way we want. We don't need exits. We don't need fire extinguishers. Can we, can we do that as well? Like, so there's questions here about this statement. Um, Maybe Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, DeSantis ought to hear the next line from this declaration. We thus reject all forms of medical coercion and any restrictions on individual freedoms for people who are not infected with any contagious life-threatening disease. Sorry again, but aren't you the ones applauding states that restrict medical care for children and threaten to throw parents in jail for child abuse merely for seeking appropriate medical care? Now, again, Clearly, the author here has an agenda. He has his own worldview and perspective, and clearly it's coming in conflict with that of the Frankfurt Declaration. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the view of the author. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the Frankfurt Declaration, but clearly we have two worlds coming into collision. All I care about is how should we think about it biblically, but all right. Uh, They go on to say, the hypocritical theme of pretending to care about family values occupies the entire entirety of the fourth article um, about limits on government authority due to God-given mandates to the church and the family. The declaration says that God has de- delegated authority to the family as the basic unit of society for the purpose of fostering societal cohesion and sexual fidelity and to, prevent, pr- to protect, provide for, raise, and educate children in the way of the Lord. We affirm our rights as citizens, parents, and Christians to freely self-determine our beliefs and behaviors based on these truths. Again, see the points above. What you want for yourself, you're not willing to grant others. Yet, you are the ones next complaining about totalitarian ideologies that, that, that do not recognize the boundaries of their authority. So what they're saying is that the, the document, the Frankfurt Declaration, is saying, we want all of these rights, but Christians seem very quickly to deny those rights to other people. Now, you can argue whether that's true or false. Again, I will just give you the example of how many Christians tried to stop the building of mosques after 9-11, but they would want the freedom to build their own churches. So, like, you, come on now. You, you, you got to be consistent here. All right, we're almost done. Uh, of all the wacky things in this declaration, the fifth article just might take the cake. Under the guise of declaring the lordship of Christ, the document asserts the functional independence of the church from the state, which is once again about COVID. So it seems like every every article here really is about COVID. Now, if that is true, if that is true, we could ask some serious questions here. Is it necessary? Did we really need a declaration of faith to be written because of COVID? I I would argue that maybe we need a declaration of faith telling Christians how to better act in the middle of a global crisis. Instead of worrying about our rights, we worry about other people. Maybe maybe this, this, this whole Frankfurt Declaration does exactly what I was afraid Christians were going to do. Here's a global pandemic. Millions of people die globally, and we claim that they're not dying. We claim claim it's fake, and we make it all about us. It's the Frankfurt Declaration proof that when the world faces a global crisis, don't look to the church because the church is only concerned with itself. Now, I'm asking the question. I'm not making the accusation. I just felt like when when the the pandemic started, I kept saying, hey, this this is an opportunity for the church. It's an opportunity for us to look to ourselves, repent, grow spiritually. uh, And it's an opportunity for us to show that we love others and we put others before ourselves. And before it did not take long in the pandemic that it became obvious, no, we're going to make it about ourselves. We're going to make a spectacle of ourselves. We're going to make this all about us. People are dying. We don't care about your family member dying. It's about us. It's the Frankfurt Declaration, simply a declaration indicating that the church has a narcissistic problem that in the face of global suffering, we find a way to make it about us and our rights. 
I don't, I'm not going to be dogmatic yet because we haven't worked through the declaration, but I'm hearing a little bit of that. They go on to say this, all right? Um, here's, here's how we know that. Okay, so uh, of all the wacky things in this declaration, the fifth article might take the cake. Under the guise of declaring the lordship of Christ, the document asserts the functional independence of the church from the state, which once again is about COVID. And then here's the quote. Here's how we know that. And here's the quote from the Frankfurt Declaration. We further affirm that the activities of the local church, insofar as they are essential acts of worship, are to be regulated by Christ alone. We therefore deny that any other authority has jurisdiction over the church to regulate any of its affairs in matters of faith, practice, or to regulate its activities to a non-essential status. So the church, the, nobody can tell the church what to do. Now, I would just argue, I guarantee you that in your church, your, you, you, your building meets certain codes. So is someone else telling you what to do? I mean, you've got to at least think this through logically. If there is a mandatory evacuation notice given in your area because of wildfires, flooding, are, are you saying the church does not have to obey that because they can't tell you what to do? Are you, are you going to follow that? Or are you just saying, you can't tell us what to do when we don't want to be told what to do? And I wonder if all of those churches and people who signed it, if they are tax exempt. And I wonder how many of the people who signed this took paycheck protection program loans from the government during the pandemic. Hey, we'll take money from the government. We'll take the tax break from the government. We'll take the tax exemption status from the government, but don't tell us what to do. We'll take your money. We'll take your benefits. But don't tell us what to do. I mean, I mean, it's a reasonable question because I heard lots of churches who were like, we don't follow the government. We, but they took the PPP loans. They took those Paycheck Protection Program loans. They took the money from the government. And then here's the end. The icing on this crazy cake comes in a final call of respect, repentance and resistance. Here's where the ever-popular twisting of the meaning of religious liberty comes to full flower. Then they quote from the document again. We command and express our gratitude to those civil authorities who respect the essential nature of those Christian beliefs and practices and who have, have a high regard for individual and religious freedoms. The document states, to those civil authorities who have disagreed to disregarded those freedoms, we call on you to repent and to become again the protectors of liberty and of the rights that God has given to all men. Lest in the abuse of your God-given authority, you become liable to God's wrath. So it's like, you better repent. I would be, I would love to write a document, or I would love for someone to produce a document, since I'm not the greatest writer, that would call the church to repentance and all of the ways we mishandled the COVID crisis. Because I'm saying, if you're going to point out how the government messed up, shouldn't we look to ourselves first? I, I don't expect a godless government to ever get it right. Because we and the church, who are supposedly the godly, we so frequently get it wrong. We almost never get it right. Maybe instead of writing a document worried about what the government should do, we should write a document about maybe how the how Christians should better handle global crises. I don't know. Just a thought. This is from a group of people who want to to elevate the First Amendment's free exercise clause above the establishment clause. Worrying only about their own right to do whatever they please while not affording any other religion the same right. Again, the very definition of Christian nationalism. The tone of the declaration turns taunting here at the end, quoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the Hebrew scriptures. We have no need to answer you in this matter. The God we serve is able to save us from you, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the idols you have set up. If you have any remaining doubt that the, the politicized evangelical movement today is driven by fear, here's your proof. These are church leaders who believe they're under attack while they instead are attacking anyone who doesn't share their beliefs. The document closing lines about persecution 
should be an affront to the millions of people around the world who live and die amid real persecution. It's prayer for strength in these cultural trials. The mere inconvenience of not always getting your way makes a mockery of the Lord's prayer and every prayer of authentic faith. This document is itself the very definition of an abuse of power. Now, that is from the Baptist News Global. Go to baptistnews.com. You should be able to find it. It was published yesterday. It's in the opinion section of their website. The author is Mark Wingfield. Mark Wingfield, and I'm sorry I messed up the word propagandizing. Propagandizing. I think I think there is the right word. See, when I don't look at it, I can say it. But propag- using propaganda in, 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 a, in a way where you're trying to get it out there to, to, to accomplish your own purpose. But other than that, I think I, we, we worked through that very well. Now, the reason I did that is because a lot, obviously there's going to be Christians out there going, this is the great, well, as the email I got, this is, what did they call it? They called it a incredible statement of faith. So I immediately, but all I did is look for the very first article, which clearly doesn't believe it's an incredible statement of faith, believes that it's, a train wreck. There's clearly some things there that I think are way over the top. Like, you know, quoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that whole thing. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Now, they're, they're, they're Christians who live in places where the government really is trying to kill them. But I, I live here in the United States of America. I can literally broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week right here, talking about anything, doctrine, theology, culture. I can, I can talk and talk and talk. Uh, church, nobody's ever told me what to do in my church. I mean, come on. Now, are there issues that arise within a society? There's always going to be issues that arise within a society. There's always going to be a a back and forth. I completely understand that. But to exaggerate it and blow it out of proportion, I'm not so sure. But I would challenge you today to look up the Frankfurt Declaration. Frankfurtdeclaration.com. The Frankfurtdeclaration.com. The Frankfurtdeclaration.com. It is called the Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. You can find the document. It's five articles. Let me know what you think of it. You may think it's the greatest thing ever. I obviously am I'm highly suspect of it. And I just don't really understand why we need a document right now basically complaining about the COVID situation when I think what we really need to do is make a document that calls the church to task for maybe how we conducted ourselves in the midst of a pandemic where millions of people were dying. I just have a different approach. And my approach is not, listen, my approach is not because I'm more spiritual. I want you to hear me. My approach is not because I'm more spiritual. My, the reason I take this approach that we start with ourselves is because I'm aware of my own sinfulness, my own failures, my own problems. I'm, I, I am so painfully aware of how messed up I am that it always bothers me when the church rises up to point out everyone else's failures because the church is filled with failures, not only with COVID, with a million other issues. But we're so good at pointing the finger. You will leave us alone. We can do whatever we want because we do it right because we're the godly ones. Yeah, okay. Church is a mess. It always has been, always will be because we're sinners who sometimes seems to forget that we're sinners. And we get very, 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 very content with telling everyone else what they should do and that they're wrong when they don't do it. Now, you read the Frankfurt Declaration, and you may think it's amazing. You let me know what you think. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm laughing because I'm looking at it. I've gone an hour and three minutes. You know what this was intended to do? This was intended to be, hey, guys, I just got this email from someone, and they they sent me this thing about the Frankfurt Declaration. I don't know when it was released, but here's a little bit from it. There you go, about a 15-minute, just like, 
you know, breaking news alert kind of thing. And it's turned into an hour and four minutes of, well, letting you hear multiple perspectives about it. There you go. But trust me, well, we're going we're, we're gonna to circle back to it. But if anyone can find the date of when the Frankfurt Declaration was actually released, I, I wish they would have a date here. When I go to the website, I'm not seeing a date. Hang on, let me see if I go all the way down to the bottom. Here's all the signs. See, the, they, they have the, the signatories. They have those who have signed the document, but it doesn't give a date. Like you think there would be a date next to the, the, the signatures. Yeah. Some of you would, and I, I think you're free to sign it now if you want to sign the declaration, if you agree with it. That's wonderful. Um, I, I couldn't sign this. I, I, I don't think I could sign this from what I know about it so far. Put it this way. I would have to do far more uh, reading. I just don't know why there's not a date. Um, why is there not a date in the introduction? There's no date. Give me the date, okay? I'm assuming it's soon, okay? Maybe I'm wrong and this happened months ago and I'm just late to the news story. But I mean, the first news story I found about it was dated yesterday. So this has to be relatively new, but we'll get more information. The Frankfurt Declaration, we've spent an hour thinking about it, talking about it. Is it simply, oh, well, you, you, you draw your own conclusions about it, all right? Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Clearly, we'll do more live broadcasting at some point today. I've got other things to do, and I will try to get to everything and circle back around and do some more live broadcasting. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. God bless.